Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you. And thank you for tuning in. Like always, I would like to say that it is our privilege to open the Word of God, the Bible, and to learn a little bit more how to live in these uh, particular times towards the end of this planet Earth. Because it's important to understand that we living in, in a very special time. Our study today will uh, look into the roots of restlessness. And um, very happy to welcome you all on the panel. And I may just uh, start with Helen. Good to have you with us, Helen. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure, a delight. And I'm sure we're going to gain great wisdom as we study this um, amazing topic and apply it to ourselves and turn our lives over to the Lord. Yes. Will, thank you for joining. Thank you. It's always a privilege to spend time over the word, Nick. Len, also good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners. And Joe, thank you for uh, your participation. You're welcome. And likewise, it's always, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And Brenton. It's good to have you with us today, especially because you are uh, the facilitator. You put together this uh, Bible study, and we are welcome you to the program. Thank you, Nick. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, as a panel, sharing this um, very important subject, Roots of Restlessness. All right. Well, um, let's uh, begin. And over to you, Brenton. Take us through, please. Thank you, Nick. Last uh, study, we um, talked about rebellion amongst the children of Israel, beginning in Numbers 11 and going through to Numbers 14. We discussed in our study uh, that the first lot of rebellion began initially with those who were described as being outside of the camp. We know them as the mixed multitude. Uh, it's interesting that some versions refer to them simply as the riffraff, and then the rebellion extended to the heart of Moses when his own brother and sister in chapter 12 rebelled against him. And the rebellion kept going through to chapter 14, where in chapter 14, the 12 spies went and spied out the land of Canaan, where they could have gone in had they been faithful and all brought back not only a good report, but also, more importantly, uh, a faithful comment that we are well able to go in and possess the land. Unfortunately, only two of them gave that statement. And the spies who didn't give the good report wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua along with the people. And we find that God dealt with these outbreaks very severely and promptly. Miriam was struck with leprosy for a period of time. The fire burned against the... Um, mixed multitude on the edge of the camp of Israel and uh, destroyed some of them. But the study that we're doing today will trace some of the roots of restlessness and the headings that we're going to look at them under are, first of all, in our first section, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus talks about the vision. Then we're going to look at, shall we say, some of the personal characteristics of what causes restlessness in the human psyche and we're looking at them under the, the um, headings of selfishness, ambition, hypocrisy, 
But we're going to finish our study by looking at uh, uprooting restlessness and what does the Bible offer, not as a panacea, but what does the Bible offer as a cure for this restless spirit. But before we do any of that, I wonder, Will, would you be able to share prayer with us, please, because we really need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Certainly. Dear Lord, in an unsettled world where there is little stability and calm, both politically and emotionally, we pray for what Jesus offered when he gave the assurance, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Please, Lord, grant us, the panel and listeners, this stability and this constancy and this calm in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Will. Helen, I wonder... When you study Matthew chapter 10, it's an interesting study because it's, um, we would describe it as first instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples who he's sending out on their first missionary journey. Um, after telling them that he was giving them power to cast out demons, to heal every sickness, etc., 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 we find late in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 35 to 39, he makes some very interesting comments. I wondered if you would read that section for us, Helen, and maybe share your insights or thoughts, and then we'll come to the panel for their thoughts on this particular matter. How does one harmonise what he's saying here in Matthew ten thirty-five to 39 with the fact that most people, when they think of Jesus, they think of the Prince of Peace? Um, Isaiah 9, 6 comes to mind, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How do you harmonise these two statements? Thank you, Helen. Okay, thank you. Let me first read the Matthew ten thirty five to 39. Um, yeah, it's kind of very confronting when you first read this, it especially is. when we consider that Christ is the Prince of Peace. So verse 35 says here, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will, will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, in in first looking at this, as you've mentioned about Isaiah, my first thought was, wow, Commitment to Christ separates friends and families and loved ones. But I don't believe that Jesus here was was encouraging disobedience to parents or conflict at home. Rather, I think he was showing that his presence demands a decision. And when we think about that, some will follow Christ and some won't won't and conflict will inevitably arise. And as we take our cross and follow him, our different values, our morals, our goals and purposes, that will automatically set us apart from others. So we must remember not to neglect our family, but remember that our commitment to God is even more important than they are. Than they are. And God should be our first priority. You know, the verse to me is positive, but it's also negative in the same t- truth. Chain clinging to this may cause us to forfeit the best from Christ in the world and in the next. And that's kind of, you know, I read that statement too and I thought, wow. (laughs) Yeah, the more that we love this life, you know, and this life's rewards, which 
people consider as leisure and power, uh, popularity, financial security, the more we will discover how empty they are. And I can testify to that in my own life. The best way to enjoy life is to loosen our greedy grasp on earthly rewards so that we can be feel free to follow Christ. And in doing so, we will inherit eternal life and begin at once to experience the benefits of following, following Christ. And that, of course, includes the wonderful peace he gives. But I'd like to, before I finish off, and, and sure. I want to tell you testimony too, I'd like to turn to 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 12. Now, it's talking about here, goes back to Genesis, Cain and Abel. And it says here, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So here we have an example way back then of the first two and the conflict that came about because Abel was classified as righteous. Now, why was Cain like he was? Because he allowed Satan to come into his heart and he lost any peace that he could have had with Christ. I remember when when we started to, to study to come in to the wonderful light that God had given us, our opposition came from within our family. Really? And, um, and I know that happens to a lot of people. Uh, my father started to study with us and then he um, just completely cut us all off. And um, the interesting thing was, I believe it was the secret society that he was in that caused him to do that when I look back on it now. But it became very hard. Friday night, you could cut the air with a knife. And um, he started challenging my mother and saying she should be home getting things ready for this and that. So we all got together and we made sure everything was ready for the Sabbath so that when mum came in, it was a case of, Somebody would light the fire. It was all set up, ready to go. The food was ready. Everything was fine when Dad walked in the door. But he still still was very anti. It was really interesting because I thought he was a Christian man and I thought that he, he, um, well, he was brought up in the Presbyterian Church and then the Methodist. And he brought us up to believe that, you know, no drink, no smoke, no swearing and all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden he just turned And it was so difficult for my mother. I felt really sorry for her. And, in fact, it got to the stage where my father didn't even want to walk down the aisle with me in the Adventist church. Uh, He did eventually. Once he got in, he couldn't wait to get out in a hurry. But there was that division, you know. But he wasn't at peace, Brenton. He wasn't at peace. And Christ's peace goes far beyond any peace that we experience in the world. Absolutely. So just remember that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he's saying, put me first. You know, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Really, all these five verses deal with that, don't they? Lynn, I believe you had a comment too. Helen has explained things quite eloquently, but the key to this is found in the same chapter, Matthew 10, verse 22, which says, all men will hate you because of me. Now, Helen has pointed out that unbelievers will pick on believers simply because of that. Yes. Nothing else. I mean, not that you look differently or you live differently. Well, a little bit differently, but not that because you've got some weird accent or looks. No, it's simply because of the acceptance of Jesus into one's life that unbelievers will turn against those who honour the Lord. 
Yeah, that's an interesting comment, Len. Uh, Will, you had some thoughts for us as well. I found a wonderful statement which I'd like to share. Sure. Christ declared, I came not to send peace but a sword. Why? Because men would not receive the word of life because they warred against the message sent to them, um, sent to bring them joy and hope and life. And then it commenting, she says, the writer says, we look upon the Jews as inexcusable because they rejected and crucified Christ. But today the messages that the Lord sends are often received as uh, in a manner similar to in the way in which the Jews received Christ's message. If the instruction of the Lord does not harmonize with the opinions of men, anger takes control of reason, and men play into the enemy's hands by opposing the message that God sends. Satan uses them as sharp instruments to oppose the progress of truth. Powerful statement, Will. Yes, as soon as people, as soon as it uh, it jars with the natural uh, inner wants of, uh, of human beings, that's when trouble arrives. And that's what Jesus talks about. I do bring upset and uh, unsettled emotion. Nick, you had some thoughts for us too. Also, I'm thinking that uh, when Jesus spoke those words, keep in mind that uh, as we understand Jesus' ministry on this planet Earth, he mentioned that my kingdom is not for this world or from this world. Mm -hmm. And um, when you think of that, it's uh, kind of um, understandable that will be a lot of uh, opposition, you know. And um, when he says about the sword, also is because people were not prepared to receive uh, uh, the new teaching which Jesus brought and all the rest of it. And again, it's not that if you are a Christian and if you are following Jesus, then um, that's what Jesus said. And it's a, how to say, prediction that uh, you'll, you have to suffer. Yeah. I mean... The suffering comes because of the opposition of the enemy. Now, the kingdom of this world, who claim it to have uh, authority or power on, on, on this earth was the enemy of God, Satan. And we are in a bat- battle zone, if you like. We are, Nick. We are yes. in a war zone. And as long as we are on this earth, the enemy will try to do anything possible to disturb us and to cause all sorts of suffering. And as Helen mentioned, it will bring it even from the most closer ones, you know, the loved ones. Yes. To yes. The hurt and the pain to be as much as possible. Yeah, Nick, I believe um, he starts with the family. Mm. And from there. Helen, you had some thoughts for us. Just very quickly, it brings to mind the statement that Jesus says, when you are persecuted. He doesn't say if you're persecuted. He said when you are persecuted. Correct. Yes. And I think we, we could probably all relate to that, even through our life and as, as time comes to a close. And we need to cling to Christ. We need to cling to him. You know, when I think of my family and I think of my, my friends, I think of my, what possessions I have, they're, they're you know, they're important but they're not top priority. Yeah. When everything goes haywire in your life, the only one you can hang on to is Christ. And he gives you that amazing peace. Mm. Helen, that's very interesting. Thank you, folks, for your contributions here. 
Isn't it important that Jesus says consistently through these four or five verses, you must put me first? Amen. It comes in over and over and over again. You must put me first. The question uh, that I had, uh, just to finish this one before we move on to our next one, is I've written here in my notes, why do people object to a saviour who has come to save them? Immediately what came to my mind was a statement, I believe it's the Apostle Paul who made it, who said that the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. I believe you have to, in order to understand this restlessness, this division and this angst, you have to go back to Genesis 3.15, where it said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Uh, This is Christ talking to Adam and Eve after they had sinned. So it's logical that until this earth is remade as God originally intended it to be, there is going to continue to be conflict and enmity. The issue is not so much the fact that there is enmity. That's pretty clear. I think the issue is how do you deal with it and in what strength do you deal with it? So I think that's an important issue. Helen? Yeah, it just reminds me of a statement that said it's not important how people act towards us, it's important how we react. Yes, yeah, good thought. Joe, did you have any thoughts on this one? Pretty much as everything's been said so far, you know, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but even when he was alive on the earth, there was such fierce opposition to his ministry. So do we expect that our lives would be any different? Not because Jesus did anything wrong, but perhaps by his example, he inevitably showed up where the the flaws were in in the spiritual leaders. And like um, Helen said, sometimes the greatest opposition, the people that take most umbrage at, uh, you know, you know, someone who's trying to do the right thing is the very fact that it shows them up. Yes. And sort of like, well, you know, there's a prick of, prick of conscience saying, well, you know, maybe you ought to be doing this, but you're not. And then, of course, they, the person gets angry and Satan doesn't waste any time in speaking to their minds and causing division and, you know, thinking evil thoughts and spreading them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what we're talking about because we see it around us in the world. Yeah. And in our churches and homes, it's everywhere. People are the same. Yeah. I think you've summarised it well. Helen read First um, John 3, verse 12. Just going back to what you read that time, Helen, what was the reason as to why he killed Abel? Because his deeds were uh, evil and Abel's were good. That really summarises it uh, pretty well. Len, um, Jesus told um, another aspect of this issue of restlessness has to do with wealth. Or maybe I could, I could put it another way, the misapplication of wealth. Jesus told a parable in uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and onwards through to about 21. I wonder if you would just share briefly with us what the parable is about and maybe some insights that you've gained from um, reading it and also comparing it with the um, obligations that God had put upon Israel in Leviticus and uh, Deuteronomy. Thank you, Lee. All right. Well, before I read this parable... I want to refer to Frank Sinatra. Right. (laughs) Old blue eyes. Frank Sinatra, he was a very wealthy man and he probably made millions just through singing one song. Yes. was, I'll do it my way. (laughs) And this reminds me very much of what we're dealing with here 
in this parable told by Jesus. I'm going to read Luke 12, verses 16 through to 21. Jesus told them this parable. He said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I've no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And then Jesus sums up and he said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You know, I think there are four major points that we can get from this parable. This man thought he was a self-made man. Mm -hmm. Secondly, he didn't recognize God in all his plans for the future. And I think it's important that we recognize God, what's going to happen to us in the future. And then thirdly, he was unwilling to share. And fourthly, he failed to recognize that life itself is a gift from God. Now, I'd like to read just a couple of other verses from the sure, old. Sure. One's from um, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17. This uh, is very much like this this um, wealthy farmer said to himself, and here's what it says in Deuteronomy 8.17, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I like to think of it this way. Whatever I am, whatever I hope to be, whatever I've got, is only there, I only have it, because God has permitted it. If God said or God caused my heart to stop beating and wouldn't beat the next beat, I've got nothing to boast about. And then there's another one I mentioned in my summary that one of the other things that this farmer who had more than he needed was unwilling to share. But an instruction given by God to the Israelites was this. Leviticus 19.9 When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So here God had given instructions. People had plenty to provide for the needs of those who didn't have much. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the godly way of doing things. Yes. This rich man, this rich farmer, left God out of the picture. And then he was left out of the picture. And that's a disaster. I think so. Any other thoughts on that? Joe? Something that when I've when I read that parable that came to me, and I guess it was kind of alluded to by Lynn, was it signified to me the brevity of life. Yes. You know, that you could spend your life amassing a healthy bank balance, a portfolio of shares, and yet you never know when your time will come. And this 
this poor man, who was rather poor, even though he was wealthy, had no idea. It wasn't God being vindictive. It basically, you know, like I decided to take your life. It was basically that life is unpredictable. And so, you know, we should always make sure that our priorities are not misplaced and not put in, in the, you know, importance of things around us and worldly wealth because ultimately that's not going to save us. It, to me, it, it's the brevity of life. You know, teach us to number our days that we might incline our hearts to wisdom. So I guess um, that's what came to me as well. You know, the brevity of life, make every day count and don't, um, you know, don't play. I mean, you, you work, of course. You work and you plan and you do things. But always keep in mind that life is short and you don't want to get to the end of your life and find that you're regretting opportunities that you missed to do good to someone. You've got all this money, but you never helped anyone along the way. You missed out on a lot of of, uh, family, spiritual relationships, a relationship with God. That is really devastating. I I agree, Joe. Before we come to Len uh, on this particular comment, surely if he had been a good Jew, um, it's interesting, he could have recognised that he had more than enough already and therefore his overflow, as Len read to us from Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10, imagine the good he could have done with the excess that was available to him. Now, it was interesting, um, I did a little bit of study on uh, the current situation in the State of Israel in 2021. Do you realise that out of the total population, 28% of them live below the poverty line? and nearly half of those are children. Now, this is incredible. This is 2021. Israel is not generally looked upon as being a third-world country. It's looked upon as being a first-world country. So I find this quite incredible. Maybe the uh, situation of the advice that God gave them in Leviticus is still not being followed in 2021. Len, you had some further thoughts on this. Yes, well, I've actually looked up the statistics for Australia and they're not much better. Really? (laughs) We have a lot of people below the poverty line. But um, I think at the moment the world's richest man is no longer um, Bill Gates. I think it's Elon Musk. Yes, possibly. And I think Bill Gates is the third richest man in the world at the moment. But I was very moved to find that Bill Gates gives away billions of dollars in charity. Yes. And maybe he read um, what I just read there in Luke chapter 12 and thought to himself, well, I don't need all this. I think it gives away a large proportion of his income, Mm. which is really nice to hear about. It is. Yeah. Nick? I just want to also pick up on that, uh, what Len just said about Bill Gates and many others who have a lot of money. Um, and the interesting thing is, you know, that probably not to be caught up or caught uh, in, into that because when people have enormous amount of money, it doesn't matter for them what they give away. It's, it's not significant mm-hmm. for them what they give away. And sometimes yeah. they give yeah. away to attract even more to them rather than to, you know, now, I don't deny that people may benefit uh, of their uh, uh, goodwill, but the 
issue here is what is in your heart. Yes. Because selfishness is something which you think of yourself first. And whatever it happens, you think about yourself and doesn't need to be only on the materialistic uh, things. It can be on some other things to be selfish. Yes, and that's perfect. why I believe it's, it's, in my opinion, irrelevant if a very rich man gives something away, if the main thing in his heart is still about himself. And this was the case with this man. Now, let's, uh, let's just presume that this farmer, he may have a struggle for many years of a good crop, okay? And all of a sudden, he was blessed, and he had a very good crop. And what he thought? He thought of himself now, hey, this is my chance now. Let's secure my future for, for the rest of my life. And this is probably the issue with selfishness. We need to think more outside of the box. We need to think of what's my role in society. And as a Christian, even more important, to reach out, to help others. We, whatever I have... With little or with, or with more. Mm-hmm. Because many times I find out that people are willing to give when they have a lot. <laughs> you know, when they have extra, they say, okay, I have a bit extra, I can give. What about if you give from your little? As the Bible says, if you have two coats, you know, just give one away. Or uh, um, this is, in my opinion, the whole issue of selfishness. And as uh, we talked about um, poverty, and uh, people who have lots of money. That's why maybe in Israel or even in Australia, where it's an abundance of, uh, you know, riches. Why we have poverty? Because it's a selective uh, approach. You know, the riches become more rich and the poorer become more poor. And that's what's happening, Nick, at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Just an interesting point there, It was particularly tragic when we were in Israel, Lurleen and I, to actually see people looking through rubbish bins for food. Now, that happens here in Australia too. I recognise that. I I think this whole issue of selfishness is something that we could discuss for the rest of our time, and we've got further things to discuss. But, Helen, you had some thoughts to share with us. Yes, just very quickly. I um, was noticing what, what Nick was saying there, and he said, give from the little you have. It reminds me of what Jesus spoke about the widow, and he she was more blessed than the others because the little she had, she gave it all to him. You know, and I think that was just an amazing um, thing that he shared. And I'd like to dispute about the richest people in this world because I am the richest lady in this world and I have little money, but, boy, I've got so many blessings and the peace of God in my heart. Amen. That, to me, outweighs all the millions. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Len, you had a thought for us. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Any other thoughts on that one, guys, before we move on? Will, uh, it's rather interesting. Um, I, I know none of us can put ourselves in the place of Jesus Christ when his earthly ministry was uh, going for three and a half years. None of us can exactly see things as he would have seen them. One of the underlying trends and one of the underlying things that was always bubbling along just below the surface and sometimes above the surface was the issue of who was the greatest. And even right up to and including 
what we know or what we call today the Last Supper, this issue was still going on. Will, I wonder if you could share a few texts with us and maybe give us your views on how did Christ deal with this issue? Not just a case of we know what the issue was, but what did Christ suggest? What what um, advice did he give to his... Actually, it's not advice, it's more uh, uh, commands. Thanks, Will. Well, it's uh, good to remind ourselves that our study today is on uh, things that breed restlessness in the heart and the life. Yes. And I can just uh, think of how strong selfish ambition is in this respect, constantly pushing for more and more to achieve and to achieve. Surely in all of this, we miss the peace that Jesus offers because we are too preoccupied with ourselves. And uh, as you have said, uh, Brenton, this features even in the lives of uh, Jesus' own disciples and their interaction and uh, more uh, more stark Uh, is the fact that uh, it happens at the ordinance of humility, the washing of their feet, and the intense lesson of humility during the Last Supper. I mean, I would say, um, (laughs) my first reaction would be, what are they thinking? What are they really (laughs) thinking? But Luke chapter 22, verses 22 to 24 onwards says, Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. And, of course, he carries on to say, but it shall not be so among you. And I recall that uh, one day when Jesus came to the disciples Ask them the question, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, he was clearly dealing with their their ambition and their selfishness. Uh, Jesus calls a little child to him, Matthew 18, verse, verse 2 says, Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. I would have hoped that that was the only aspiration, or they would have learned their lessons about uh, selfish ambition, But uh, again, we read in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 36. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? They kept silent, for on the road they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. (laughs) And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone desires to be first... He shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took the little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him, the child, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Well, there again we get an illustration of the text that we read a little earlier on. You know, ambition can kill our spiritual relationship 
Let's first take care, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then let God take care of our, uh, of our promotion or demotion after that. That's very good advice, Will. Uh, Len, you had some thoughts for us as well. As I was driving home from golf this morning, I heard an interview with our Prime Minister, and he was basically being attacked <laughs> by the um, media about the COVID-19 vaccine. And I couldn't help but think, although he's probably the most important person in Australia, he's only there, not for himself, but he's there as a servant. Yes. The rest of of humanity. Now, I just want to make an, uh, us Australians, I mean, humanity, meaning us Australians in this case. Sure. But um, I'd just like to point out the disciples argued amongst themselves a number of times about who's being the greatest. They took a long time to learn their lesson. Yet, in the end, all of them, except John, were martyred. In other words, they put their own interests aside for the sake of the Lord, and they all died because of it. So it was a hard lesson to learn, but nevertheless, they did learn it. Yes, that's a good thought, certainly. Um, I put down here, which part were they struggling with, being a servant or a little child? I think either of those two approaches was not acceptable to them in their present state. And, Joe, I believe there is an antidote to this. One of the great passages of Scripture is found in Philippians 2, 5 to 8. I wonder if you could share that with us and also comment on it, please. Certainly. Philippians 2, 5 to 8, it says, In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here we have Jesus, who, as it says, did not consider his consider his equality with God as something selfishly to be held on to. Um, he didn't think of himself. He thought of others, and his attitude was that of unselfish concern for others. This is the mind of Christ, an attitude that says, I cannot keep my privileges for myself. Easy to do, isn't it? Hmm. I must yeah. use them for others, and to do this, I will gladly lay aside and pay whatever price is necessary. This is this is what Jesus um, thought. Now, this is very contrary to the ancient Greek philosophy because a humility and lowliness of mind was seen as a fault, not a virtue. Yes. The pagan and secular idea of manhood is not being meek and mild. It is self-assertiveness imposing one's will on others. You know, when some anyone who stooped to others, he did so only under compulsion. And so, you know, to be meek and mild and humble was considered disgraceful. So I guess the Christian philosophy of humility um, would have had them struggling to, to understand that. So what does that tell us about service? And by service, I thought, now, I wonder why we use the word service, because it really means how I live my life. Yes. 
Yes, it it's does, Joe. With my life and where my focus is. And I guess if it was on me, then I'll be living just to please myself. If it was all that was all about me, and much of the world around us is about that, isn't it? Doing what I want to do when I want to, how I, you know, how I want to, and um, it's all about self-pleasing. And then the next question that comes to mind: Well, how does the service or how I live my life? And um, how I interact with others change, how has it changed my life? And how does it change one's life? Well, I think that um, how you live your life, and if you reflect on those words that we've just read in, in Philippians 2, it says to me that the priorities and mode of operation changes. And when that changes, it impacts every aspect of my life and my relationships with people. And I guess Everyone experiences life differently and in a very in varied ways. So there's more than one way to serve a community, to serve those around us. And, of course, there are challenges as well as rewards. So it's not easy. Sometimes, you know, it's not easy to lay, to put my wants aside for someone else's needs. Um, and so it's called self-denial, which is a very, very old-fashioned word, and it is at odds with the world. So... Much of what we are naturally inclined to do, unfortunately, is not done out of love for others, but out of our own desire for advancement or promotion, selfish ambition, as um, Will spoke about. But there is hope. With God, all things are possible. And as selfishness is replaced by love, it becomes easier mm. by God's grace. Yeah. Just a thought, Joe. Um, reflecting on what you've been saying. Our whole society is uh, what we call a consumer society. Yep. It's all based on what's good for me, what can I get for myself. And isn't it ironical that whenever there's a disaster in society, let's apply this to Australia, a bushfire. Everyone's supposed to rally around everybody else. And you actually see at times like this, you do see individual acts and sometimes collective acts of selflessness, of people putting themselves out to help others. And that's beautiful. And that is really good. But that's not what society is geared for. Society is geared for me, 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 and all the things that I can get. The two seem to be in opposition to one another. Isn't it sad that often, maybe it's in the media, whether it's social media or uh, the written page or the radio or the television or whatever, often only these acts of selflessness come to the fore when there's a crisis because the rest of society and the rest of the time is geared to what can I get for myself and what can I do for myself, how can I make myself more comfortable. Everything that's offered in the way of products and goods is me, 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 me. What, what's it all about? Len, have you got some thoughts for us? Well, we've probably heard about random acts of kindness. Yes, yes just do something nice for somebody else, although they may not know that person and so on. I think it's good for us to think sometimes, uh, what did I do for someone else today that I didn't really need to do? And I like this business about random acts of kindness, but I also think this, when we do these things for other people, we should forget them, not the people, but the acts of kindness. Because we start thinking, oh, well, I did this for this one and I did that for that one and I gave this money for... I think it's better just to forget it. 
because otherwise we might think we're earning points towards salvation, but that's not it at all. It's just God working in our lives. Mm. God loves us and we love other people. Len, that's a very perceptive comment. Um, As you were speaking, a text came to my mind, which I think we're all familiar with. Jesus, didn't he say at one stage, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing? (laughs) I think there's a fair deal of value in that particular uh, comment. Helen, did you have any thoughts on this one for us? I was thinking that most people, most people, when they do things for others, unfortunately it is from a selfish act. Yes, often it is. And we are blessed by helping others. Don't get me wrong. We are blessed because God seems to to delight when he sees his children helping other people. And we get that blessing, but it's it's very hard for a lot of people to keep that quiet. You know, it's like um, they want to go to a friend and just say, guess what I did today? I saw a guy that was in the gutter and I helped him, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. And, and look, I think I was like that before before I met Christ. And now it doesn't really matter what I do. It matters what God does through me. Amen. So I have nothing to boast about, yes. as Paul says, except the cross. And I think with that, that sort of a mind... Ambition has, hasn't got any place in it. And I'm thinking of John the Baptist, how he was very popular. People were flocking down to hear him and listen to him. But what was his comment about Jesus? He said, he must increase and I, I must, must decrease. decrease. Now, that I think is a, an example worth following. Yeah, Always think whenever we do something for others, it's not for our benefit. We're doing it as unto Christ. And doesn't he say at the end of time, you know, come in, when I was hungry, you fed me. Yes. I was naked, you clothed me. And and the true Christian, the true follower of Christ then says, but when did I do these things? Because you get to the stage that you're not there to do it because you want to boast. You're not there to do it because you're just a good person. You're motivated by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, and Christ gets all the credit, nothing, yes. nothing yes. for us. Yeah, I think that last bit is very important. Helen Cross gets all the credit. Yeah. Nick, you had a thought for us as well. Yeah, just uh, in regard to ambitions, and we may think um, that uh, this can happen with just only, uh, you know, selfish people or, uh, um, you know, all those negative uh, aspects. Sometimes ambition can raise because we think that we know it in the right way, or it has to happen as I see, I think, I want. And that was the case also with the disciples. They have ambitions, you know, and Jesus was trying to tell them that uh, uh, his uh, plan is not about their plans. As you know, the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my plans are not your plans. We can have ambitions sometime thinking that the way we do things are only the only way this can be done. And we can be ambitious of, on that. Now, ambition, it's interesting. I'm not sure in English, but ambition in some other languages can also have a little bit of a positive connotation. And you need to have that sort of motivation, if you like, the ambition to achieve a certain uh, goal, which can be positive. 
Yeah, that's that's not wrong in itself, Nick. Yes, and but what I'm trying to maybe say here is that you need to work together. And this is what we learn from the Bible, that the disciples, when they started to come together in the upper room, they sort out things. They went together, and the next thing in the book of Acts, if we read, is that they all with in one accord. You know, and there are some positive ambitions there too happening after sure. that. Sure. But actually they were supporting each other. The cause yes. in their in which they were involved uh, was totally different than before their conversion. Absolutely. Um, Joe, can you uh, share with us and then uh, we'll move on to our next section. Thanks. I like what Glenn said about random acts of kindness and that yes. that's really good. But I think it's more than that. I think it's that it's more than just what we do occasionally or even daily, but it's something um, that needs to be there all the time. It's what motivates us, motivates us constantly, you know, that it's there with us. It's the kindness is there continually as we go about our daily lives, that we, how, however, what, whatever we're doing, whoever we speak to, whatever we do and achieve, leaves a fragrance behind us. Yes. And perhaps we are completely unaware of the good things that we're leaving in our in the trace of our footsteps rather than focusing on individual deeds. And when we go about our lives in a selfless way, we won't even be aware that we're doing great things for other people. But God notices and he sees mm. the little things. And so I think rather than focusing, and which is human, it's a temptation, isn't it, to focus on the one good thing I did today and feel good about myself, just to go about our everyday life doing little things that we're not even aware of, but yeah, others are. Yeah, that's, that's very true, Joe. Helen, just uh, yeah, I know you want to move on, but <laughs> the word focus is what um, I'm hearing Joe saying, and yes. I think there is nothing wrong with ambition. No, um, no, no, no one's saying there is. No, <laughs> but it's the focus. It's the mindfulness. When, when you're ambitious, and, and, and I just want to cite a little incident that happened to me a long time ago where I was at a very low ebb and, and sadly it was a minister walked past and he said, how are you, and kept on walking. And I needed to talk to somebody and, yeah. and I just stood there. And, and then I, I yelled at him. I said, excuse me? And he turned around. I said, are you so busy climbing the ladder? You can't stop and and wait for the answer because I knew he was very ambitious. He wanted the president's seat. And and I said some probably things I shouldn't have. And one of the other ministers yelled out, go, go, keep going. <laughs> and um, anyway, he went off and he came back later. And before he had time to speak, I said, look, I want to apologise in the manner that I spoke, not for what I said, but in the manner. And he said, please don't apologise. He said, you taught me a valuable lesson. And, you know, and from then on, I thought about that, too. It's being mindful, being in the moment, not just thinking ahead. I'm, I'm just going to stand on people's heads and get where yeah. I want to get. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's the focus. Yeah. Did he ever become president, Helen? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't, actually. He didn't. <laughs> He's a friend of mine. <laughs> Nick, there were some interesting characters known as Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. If you could briefly summarise for us, because you know what? We've been talking about ambition, and the Pharisees were certainly ambitious. We've been talking about people helping others. 
that the Pharisees often did good deeds in helping others, but the motive that they did them for was interesting. Jesus called them hypocrites, which comes from the Greek word hypocrisy, which means one who acts. I wonder if you could just share, maybe summarise briefly for us, uh, Matthew 23, verse 1 to 3. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Brenton. And probably this uh, will require even the most attention of all, because I believe hypocrisy is so present relevant. and relevant yeah. today in our society and there to say in church. Because Jesus was referring to a group of people who was supposed to be the those ones. I mean, they were actually the teachers of the law. They were the ones who had to explain things uh, in the matter of, uh, you know, salvation to yes. other people. And I wonder, just before we even continue to read in Matthew, I wonder, who are the Pharisees or the hypocrites of today in the church? Yes. Now, this may be, I may just ask as a, as a rhetorical question, but uh, uh, maybe I, I should say, we who are teaching from the Bible, we can easily fall in this category yeah. if we are not careful with what we're doing and how, how we say things. Let me read this uh, in Matthew chapter 23. And it says this, um, uh, Brenton, Jesus then said to the crowds and to his disciples, this were learning, the disciples still at the feet of Jesus, learning. And he said, the teachers of the religion, the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. This is very strong language. This is very strong language. Because they knew what to do. They were teaching others what to do. But themselves, they were not practicing. And why are so many people today not embracing the great news of the gospel because they can see hypocrisy among those people who are teaching. And that's where we need to focus. And I hope that we should have more time for this to really uh, unveil a little bit uh, this aspect. Now, if I could just very briefly mention um, a section from a very good book, if you like to have it in your uh, hands, The Great Controversy. It says here that Jesus himself uh, had divine pity and marked him with a countenance as the Son of God, you know, as he cast a lingering look upon the temple and then upon his bearers. And in his choked voice with anguish, he said this, uh, these things, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stone them which are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Yeah, that's true, Nick. And, you, you know, and that's the, the thing which we need to take in consideration today, yeah. is yeah. that as we teach, as we share, even to a, through a broadcast like this, we need to live as an example. When people will see us, to see 
the teachings of Jesus, to see Jesus in us. Yes. And it's right. called a living testimony. It is, Nick. And Helen, uh, you can summarize for us as we finish our study for today. John 14 begins with the statement, let not your hearts be troubled. I wondered if you can just share with us what, what the answer is as you see it in the time that we have remaining. Yes, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus was saying those words to the disciples because he had just told them that he was going to go away. And it's interesting in John 14, that was verse 1, but also in verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I'd like to link that very quickly with John 16, 33. And it says here, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Good and news. That's, that's not just good, good news. news. It's fantastic news. Absolutely. You know, but I can't finish without talking about Philippians 1, 6. And uh, let me just flip over and read that to you. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes people feel as though they're not making progress in their spiritual life. And when God starts a project, he completes it. And as with the Philippians, God will help you grow in grace until he has completed that work in his, in your life. And when you're discouraged, remember that God won't give up on you. He promises to finish the work he's begun. When we feel incomplete, unfinished or distressed by our shortcomings, we need to remember God's promise and God's provision. And don't let the present circumstances or present condition rob us of the joy of knowing Christ or keep us from growing closer to him. Wonderful news. Yeah. Elaine, I wonder if you would close with prayer for us, please. Dear Father in heaven, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to share your word with our listeners today. We pray, Lord, that we will find contentment in you and that restlessness and ambition and so on does not rule our lives, and uh, but you rule our lives and that we are answerable to you. I pray for your blessings on everybody who hears this program today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. Uh, with this kind of topic, we would have needed uh, much more time to yeah. really um, express uh, our thoughts and uh, uh, share with others. I believe uh, all of these uh, things we, we discuss about selfishness and ambitions and hypocrisy, it's so relevant today. And um, we are encouraged to find rest in Jesus Christ the one who can sort out all these issues in our life. I will invite you for uh, next program when we are going to talk a little bit more about the cost of rest. Until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.